Hello, Curious Mothers. This is Kristen Daly. I just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode deals with a very serious topic of suicide. It is important to know the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is 1-800-273-TALK. That is 1-800-273-8255. We hope that you find this episode, although it discusses a very hard topic, as being some important information for you in your mothering. Thank you for joining us. a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. So welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. We are very lucky today to be joined by Dr. Amanda McGow. And Amanda is a clinical psychologist who specializes in dialectical behavior therapy. And she is on the board of the North Carolina Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And she works with children, adolescents, and adults. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is part two in our uh, talks on suicide. If, if you missed our first one on uh, what to do if you're concerned about your child, please go back and listen to the previous episode. But today's episode, we are going to focus on what happens if the unthinkable occurs and we actually lose someone to suicide. So we were lucky to be able to go to a training from Amanda a few weeks ago on suicide uh, as clinicians. And uh, Melissa and I both were just really inspired by what she had to say. We're very lucky to have somebody who specializes in suicidology in, uh, in the folks we know. And so one of the things that Amanda brought up during our training was the importance of something called postvention with suicide. So Amanda, can you unpack this, that for us a little bit? Yes. Um, so postvention is essentially what steps do we as individuals and as a community take when we've had a tragic loss, um, someone has lost their life to suicide. We know that it's really important that it's handled in a very careful way in order to not only promote um, healing for those who've experienced this loss, but in order to prevent additional losses. So postvention work really is prevention of future suicides. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit more about why we have to have this idea that having a suicide loss could increase risk. Can you talk a little bit about that? So this is different um, in several ways than other forms of loss. And one of the ways that it differs is that there's a concept um, called suicide contagion, Mm -hmm. um, which is essentially the idea that the loss of one person um, can increase risk or lead to other um, um, suicidal behaviors or losses within a community. Uh, This may or may not even be necessarily somebody that's had a close relationship with 
that person. So, for example, we know that um, after Robin Williams died by suicide, that in the months following his death, there was a 10% increase in suicides among men in his same age range. Wow. And that's kind of an example of what contagion can be like. But when we handle things um, in a healthy manner, um, then that doesn't happen. So, for example, with um, Kurt Cobain, his family immediately um, found the wherewithal to share some healthy messages and ways that people can speak, can get support and spoke out against suicide. And there was actually no increase in suicidal mm. deaths following his loss. Mm. I think that's really interesting because, you know, when we're going through, obviously we're not at our most rational when we lose someone we love or when we lose somebody we care about. And so I think it's really interesting to imagine that there is a right way and a wrong way to handle this. Um, And you had spoken a little bit about the Robin Williams case. And can you share a little bit more about some of the way, the wrong way that people handle things? Yes. And I can even, you know, kind of break it down a little bit in terms of what um, moms would need to think about. Because yeah. those are obviously celebrities. It's a little bit different yes. <laughs> than what we would experience in our day-to-day life. I think you're so right, Kristen, with saying, first of all, that this is obviously a tragedy that would have a significant emotional impact on many people. And we know that none of us necessarily do our best thinking when we're emotional. Um, Little, you know, tips for moms to kind of keep in mind, though, is that we don't want to do anything that glamorizes or sensationalizes the act of suicide or the person themselves um, who has died by suicide. The way that parents can do that is just to stick to the facts Um, But we don't want to go into lots of explicit detail about methodology, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, there's going to be a lot of questions about why and and how, and and all of those questions are very natural. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to be open and honest, um, and we want to, you know, be as neutral as we can Mm -hmm. um, about some of that. But we don't want to go into explicit detail with Mm -hmm. our child. Can you say a little bit more about the glamorizing of it? Because I think I hear this term a lot, but I'm not sure everybody really knows what that means when it comes to suicide. Absolutely. So sometimes in an effort to um, honor and respect someone who has been lost by suicide, we can kind of paint um, this death as almost like a heroic act or, you know, just something that's, uh, you know, very special in some way. Yeah. And we mm-hmm. kind of elevate it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so incredibly shocking and um, very disheartening. And especially when we're talking about the loss of, you know, perhaps an adolescent, um, you know, but sometimes even with adults, these deaths get treated differently and not always in the most positive way. Mm-hmm. So we want to think about what would we do if this was a different type of death, if this was a car accident, if this had been cancer. We want to treat all of those equal. We would obviously talk about that person and their good qualities and what we would miss about them, but we wouldn't necessarily put a person on a pedestal, mm-hmm. and we don't want to do that here. Mm-hmm. And we want to keep all of um, the importance of sending the message that there are always other options. Suicide mm-hmm. is not an option that we want anyone to consider, so we have to put those prevention messages out there, too, to our children when we're talking about this. Yeah, it sounds like it's almost a little bit of a tightrope walk, right? Because I feel like it was, it still is stigmatized, but you know, it's always been a source of stigma. 
And so on one hand, it's good that we're in this place where a lot of families, when they're affected by suicide, share that it's suicide rather than making up another reason for the loss. At the other, on the other hand, it sounds like we have to be really careful not to make it sound like a, a triumphant act or, you know, and, and try to make it sound too, like the person was too amazing, you know, is the only way I can think of it. Yeah. It was a tightrope. Yeah. It's very true. I mean, there is kind of this balancing act that, um, you know, we all need to aim to do. And that, that can be hard mm-hmm. for anybody. Um, obviously, you know, we do have care, love, concern um, for the person who's been lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just want to make sure that we're mindful of how we're talking about this and that we're balancing that care and love mm-hmm. and respect for that person with um, the idea that this is not a healthy choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a client once who I really saw this play out um, where they knew somebody who had died by suicide and um, the the services held really made them, it, it was a service that kind of really glamorized the act and it increased the suicidal thoughts in my client because she was thinking, well, I've really been struggling. Look at this glorious celebration, and everybody is, you know, um, praising this individual. Yeah. Um, and it was a real struggle for her not to act on this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've even heard um, part of the contagion can be even the message of, like, we're okay. You know, the family, like, even sometimes seeing the level of support the family gets can actually be part of the contagion because for people who are irrational, when they see, oh, my family would be loved and cared for, look at all of the support Mm -hmm. that's being poured out, that can increase that sense of everybody would be okay. Absolutely. I think that's true. And the same is, is true of, you know, how we memorialize that person have had, you know, adolescents who've come in and said, you know, there's now a garden at my school for this person who died by suicide. And I think, well, you know, people would have a place to go to remember me. And this would be a contribution that I would be leaving behind. And that's very worrisome. It's very troubling. Yeah. So we're talking about what not to do. What should we do? Yes, absolutely. So, um, Parents should um, have communication. Talk to your child about this loss. Um, you know, in some cases, you may be the one who's telling your child about the loss. Um, but even if that's not the case and you're hearing about the loss um, in the community or through your school, um, start a conversation with your child. You know, get them to talk um, as much as they're willing to mm-hmm. about how they're feeling, what they're thinking. Um, it is helpful for parents to ask their child if they're thinking of suicide or if they've ever thought about suicide or if there's a friend maybe that they're concerned about, um, you know, as they're all trying to process their grief around this. And then parents can help their um, child avoid some common pitfalls um, that come along with suicide grief. Um, For example, guilt Mm. or blame are Mm -hmm. very common. Um, So when we lose someone to suicide, when such a tragedy occurs, it's human nature to want to find an explanation. We go immediately to the why. Mm -hmm. And that's so understandable. We all are trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Mm something that's incomprehensible and so what we do is we kind of look around at what we can immediately see 
But what we can see is only the tip of the iceberg for a person. Suicide is extremely complex. There is never, ever, ever going to be just one or two reasons that someone dies by suicide. Mm -hmm. But what can we typically see? The most recent breakup or the bad grade or the fight with mom and dad. Mm -hmm. It's those types of things that we can see. And so we might begin to maybe blame other people or maybe we think, oh gosh, maybe it's my fault. Maybe I shouldn't have said that thing yesterday to this person or maybe I should have you know, just somehow known and, and reached out and called that person. We start to kind of look internally. Mm -hmm. And those feelings are natural um, for all of us to experience, but we don't want those to go unchecked. Parents can provide a voice of reason and logic to say, you know, honey, this is not your fault. Mm -hmm. um, this is complex. Um, there's never one or two things. Um, you know, we can't control another person's behavior or choices. Um, and so that's a type of information that teenagers and, and children need to hear from their parents. Yeah, and what if you know, for the parents who get put in the position where maybe their child says, I'm doing okay, but my friend is struggling a lot, you know, I think sometimes that can be hard because we want them to have a supportive adult, but when we're not the parent, we can feel really stuck. Any guideline, guidance about that? Because I think sometimes... You know, the kids want to protect their friend, and often it's, you know, they don't feel comfortable talking to their parent for whatever reason, but that could be a really scary thing for a child to be responsible for. Absolutely. And we don't want kids to be responsible for keeping other kids safe. That's, yeah. that's unfair on many, many, many levels. Yeah. And so then, let's say, um, in a situation like that, you could consider a couple of different options. Maybe it's talking to the school guidance counselor. Perhaps your child would share that with the guidance counselor confidentially, and then that child um, who's struggling could be contacted and given support. Or maybe as a parent, um, your child's not willing to, but you're concerned enough that you need to reach out to the guidance counselor. Or maybe reaching out to those other parents if a circumstance, you know, fit um, mm -hmm. that particular option. But we don't want our kids to feel like they're responsible for others because they can't. They can't yeah. be the keeper of their, their friends. Right. If this happens in your community, like, how long is it reasonable to be on higher alert for that contagion? Like, is there any kind of guidelines for how long the risk exists? You know, I haven't seen an end date okay. um, in any research. That's an interesting question. I haven't seen anything about that. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at risk, we do look in terms of, you know, other suicide um, behaviors or deaths that are close in time, but also close in community. So it mm -hmm. doesn't just have to be that it happened recently yeah. um, and then another loss occurs. It can be that it's within the same school or within the same um, you know, general region or mm -hmm. within the same faith community, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not certain um, about that, but I would say, you know, in general, we know that folks are going to perhaps struggle with emotions, with mm -hmm. processing grief for a while, and the more that your child identifies um, with whomever has been lost to suicide, and the more that they may have their own individual struggles, then the increase the higher risk for contagion. Mm -hmm. Now, contagion itself is actually not very, very common. It's only one to five percent of suicides in our country um, in any given point in time. Um, so that's not a lot, but when you break that down, that's, you know, 
several hundred deaths a yes. year yeah. due to contagion, and just one death is one too many. Yes. Um, so parents do need to be aware of this factor. I'm also thinking about communities that have a tragedy um, and then need support and resources to walk through this the, the appropriate way. Um, how might a community get that get those resources and support? Absolutely. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, um, we have individuals who are trained and experienced in helping. Um, we are a volunteer organization. Yeah. There's a very, very, very few um, you know, paid staff, uh, but we've got very passionate volunteers who um, give of their time and their expertise to go out and support communities. Um, sometimes you can also find a team of mental health providers in your community. Uh, for example, our um, dialectical behavior therapy team here in town does a lot of this work as well. Um, and, you know, reaching out to people who maybe have some experience with this can be so incredibly helpful. I encourage parents to consider that, schools, churches, businesses, um, you know, these are going to be deaths that have an impact that might be unlike yeah. what you've experienced in other circumstances. Um, and so getting some guidance, mm-hmm. um, because we do want to reduce that contagion, we do want to promote healthy um, healing and processing of grief can be really important. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm one of, being a trained psychologist, I always feel like I'm ready for ev- for anything. And um, I have to say that when I needed real information, I, AFSP and Amanda in particular <laughs> was who I leaned on because yeah. the truth is you don't really know exactly what is right or what ro- what is wrong. And I think sometimes people, it goes back to that, like we want to, hun- you know, kind of hunker down, connect with our community and try to solve it ourselves. But I think the truth is this is really complex stuff. You know, yes. we were even talking earlier about the fact that um, – listeners probably have noticed that Amanda has never once said committed suicide. And uh, Melissa and I were talking about how we're, you know, desperately trying to make sure we use the right terminology as well. Can you talk a little bit about how even the language we use can be a a challenge? That's a great point, Kristen. Yes. Um, So committed suicide is a term that most of us have probably heard and, and used. Um, But what we know now is that committed suicide can be very stigmatizing, and we want to remove the stigma um, around suicide in order to prevent and also to support those who've had a loss. So when you think about the term committed suicide, um, consider what other things we commit in this world, in our lives, right? We commit sin, we commit adultery, we commit crimes. Suicide does not belong in that group. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to instead use language like died by suicide, lost one's life to suicide, took one's own life. That type of language is far more, um, you know, validating of the experience and the complexity around this issue and those who are touched by it. Yeah, I think we'll even, sometimes you'll hear people say they had a failed attempt. And, yeah. you know, and it's it's interesting to unpack that a little bit, right? You know, because yes. in this scenario, we use failed and successful in completely the wrong context, Absolutely right? Absolutely opposite of what they should be, <laughs> yes. right? I mean, a successful attempt should be someone who survives yeah. somehow, yeah. right? I mean, that yeah. is success in my book. And same thing. I mean, a failed attempt, like, no, absolutely not. I'm glad you're still here. We can we can work to create a life worth living for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think our language um, due to stigma um, around this issue has been 
very, very, very wrong, mm-hmm. quite frankly, mm-hmm. for, for years. Um, and I encourage people, you know, don't, don't be hard on yourself as you begin to make the shift in the language. I mean, even just attempting to try to change your, your language and your thoughts around this can make a really big difference and can show support yeah. um, to, to folks who are struggling. Yeah, I mean, I think that I keep it planted in my head and every once in a while I still slip up and I feel like, we got to be gracious about it, but it's yes. important that we're also really trying hard because I, I just think that it's it's something that we're not aware of the effects of what we say, right? right? Right. Words carry weight. Yeah. And sometimes we forget that, especially with something that's maybe a little bit of a cliched term. We've used it over and over again. It's in the media still, despite many efforts from national organizations to change that so yeah Yeah, I believe I was interviewed by a news agency like a year ago and I think I said it like three times (laughs) (laughs) you can can forgive yourself for that (laughs) (laughs) that's why you should have done the interview I'm sure you did a wonderful job What else should uh, parents be aware of as they're trying to support children um, or each other when they're going through a journey of of getting to the other side of a loss? So um, I would, you know, encourage parents to be on the lookout um, for signs that maybe their child is not progressing through their grief, um, you know, not coping with things in a healthy manner. If your child becomes withdrawn or can't get back into regular routines like sleep, school, eating, um, you know, if your child's really struggling uh, and not able to work through grief um, in terms of uh, their, you know, feelings of maybe guilt or blame mm-hmm. or anger, um, then it's time to, to seek support mm-hmm. um, for your child. I'm wondering, I think a lot of parents um, might want to send the message to the child how wrong suicide is, which is understandable, but they might do so in a very um, shaming way, mm-hmm. which I'm, I, I'm wondering... I would guess that would close the door on the conversation of a child actually opening up and saying, I am struggling. So is that a dynamic parents need to be aware of? Yes. I'm really glad that you brought that up. That's very important. Um, You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier we want to stay neutral as we talk Mm -hmm. about this topic, but that's one piece of it as well. It's not just the contagion idea, but it's the idea that you need to always be an open door for your child. This is a hard topic. When I give talks out in the community, I have family members and adolescents alike practice even saying this word to each other, Mm -hmm. asking each other, are you having thoughts of suicide? Are you having thoughts of ending your life? It is just that hard for people. And so if we're communicating a message of shame, right, of any kind, whether it's faith-based or didn't try hard enough or any of that, we're really going to lessen the likelihood that a struggling family member is going to tell us. Mm-hmm. And again, silence is suicide's best friend. We are going to increase risk when we have silence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen Amanda do this in talks, and it is interesting to watch the discomfort ripple through the crowd when you announce that they're going to do it. And it, and I always have this like impulse of like, oh gosh, but it's so hard, you know. And watching people get from that high place of discomfort to the other side of it and when Amanda starts talking again and they know that it's over like the relief that passes through the crowd it's so fascinating because I don't think we realize just how scary this topic can be for Mm -hmm. us to to discuss you know it it can be it can be hard but even practicing I'll tell parents sometimes practice in the mirror 
Just mm -hmm. say it to yourself if you need to. Or I'll have a few who'll dictate it into their phone, right? Yeah. If they're really uncomfortable <laughs> with this topic. I'm like, whatever works for yeah. you is completely fine. And I can remember even as a graduate student, um, beginning to work with clients, being terrified of this word myself. Yeah. yeah. But we've got to say this. We've got to talk about it. And we have to do so as calmly and neutrally as we can. Yeah, I can imagine that probably like early in our practice days, you were like, uh, no. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think I can remember trying to skip it in intake sometimes. Yes. Like, yeah. oh, no, I just know. <laughs> I know. If only I had those old videotapes now, right? I, I would probably, you know, be, yeah. be like, oh, man, you know. But that's where we all start. And yeah. that's okay. I mean, that's just, this is a tough topic for yeah. anyone. Yeah. But we have to talk about it. Yeah. And I think it's it's good to be able to think about the idea that the more open we are, the more safety we create. And so that's the piece that we've got to use to try to push forward is that, you know, we've got to be open to be able to have those really uncomfortable things and maybe try to look comfortable. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a little bit of a parallel here between talking to your kids about sex mm -hmm. or drugs, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, any, any type of safety, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is a safety issue. Yeah. And so parents have to have those tough conversations. Most of us don't love sitting down and talking with our child about sex. I mm -hmm. did that recently with my fourth grader. <laughs> that was not my favorite moment as a mom, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we had honest neutral dialogue yeah. about it and this is the same you have to talk she's also had a talk for me about suicide already mm -hmm. I mean we've got to have these conversations mm -hmm. there's a few upcoming community events that um, would be great postvention for families could you say uh, some important events coming up in the Charlotte area yes so um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention has our out of the darkness walk um, on October the 20th uptown in Romere Bearden Park um, from 1 o'clock um, until 4 o'clock. That's registration in the walk itself. This is absolutely a very um, hope-filled event. Many family members who have lost a loved one to suicide find this to be um, helpful in their healing to connect with other loss survivors and just to feel like they are, um, you know, to know, not even mm -hmm. to feel like, to know that they are making a difference in this cause. They are contributing towards research and advocacy and, and all kinds of ways that are going to begin to turn the tide um, on suicide. So that's free to register. Um, you know, donations optional if folks want to donate, but we'd love to have folks come out and join us. It's also family friendly. Um, they'll mm -hmm. have face painting some other things for kids there, which I think is wonderful. Can I ask a question about that? It's called Out of the Darkness, and it's here, and we have one in Charlotte. Are there also nationwide? Yes. Okay. There are. They are everywhere. Right. Um, on any given weekend over yeah. the next several months, there's 30 to 40 walks. Great. Um, I've already done another one, another part of the state this year. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, anywhere that you are, um, you can go onto AFSP's website, and you're going to be able to find a walk. One awesome. of the members of our DBT team found one in a really nice beach in Florida. Fiesta yes. Key, Florida, yes. I think it was. So yes. we're, we're planning a, 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 a siesta to that yes. out of the darkness spot. I've been to the event, and I have to admit, it. I love it because it is so affirming and so positive, and it really it kind of gives you goosebumps to see this like broader community celebrating the lives of people who've been lost but also people who've been saved and I think that it's it's really just a wonderful event absolutely and then what else do we have coming up 
So another event um, here in Charlotte, but also available nationwide, is International Survivors of Suicide Loss Day. This is actually internationally available, too, <laughs> um, as the title suggests. Um, this is the um, Saturday before Thanksgiving. Um, it's held annually. Um, so this year that falls on November 17th. And this is an opportunity for those who've had a suicide loss to come together, um, to have a sense of community with one another, be able to connect, and um, to work together towards hope and healing. Um, there's a little bit of a program. There's information that's offered. Um, there's small breakout groups, too, for people to participate in if they'd like to, where they can share a little bit or hear about other people's experiences with a similar type of loss. Um, here in Charlotte, our events from 9 o'clock until 11.15 at Southeast Sykes Ballantyne office. Um, these events are free in most cases. Ours is certainly free here in Charlotte. And um, you can register online at AFSP.org. Yeah, and I this event, so my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that International Survivors Day is the Saturday before Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving tends to be the beginning of what is a really hard time for people who've lost someone to suicide. Is, is that correct? Yeah, so the holidays, really with any form of grief, um, mm-hmm. can be just so, so hard. Um, so we're... You know, coming together um, for fellowship and then also to focus on healthy ways to cope with mm-hmm. this loss. We have folks who come who've got um, very little time since they've lost their loved one. That's more of an immediate loss. Um, and then there's folks who are more longer-term survivors who can share a little bit about what's been helpful for them throughout the years. But the holiday season can be tough for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Amanda, we are so grateful to be able to have your expertise join us on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Learn more at www.thecuriousmother.com, where you will find resources related to episode topics. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother.